Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. This is Henry Lopez, and welcome to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today is Christopher Jane. Christopher, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Thank you. Now, looking forward to this conversation. Christopher is with me today to share his entrepreneur journey so far. I say so far because he's a relatively young man. And his experiences with launching Proper Good, a direct-to-consumer food company that specializes in quick, healthy meal options. To receive more information about the How of Business, including links to the show notes for this episode, or to schedule a free coaching consultation with me, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 772-837-5700, or just visit thehowofbusiness.com. So let me uh, tell you a little bit more about Christopher. Christopher Jane is an entrepreneur and the founder and CEO of Proper Good. Proper Good offers 90-second meal solutions with options for keto, gluten-free, plant-based, and other lifestyle needs. We'll get more into the product itself and how it came about. But Christopher grew up in the south coast of England before moving to Bozeman, Montana, after completing his finance undergraduate degree in London. He then was a co-founder of Montana Mex, which was a clean label condiment company that launched seven products to thousands of grocery stores. After a number of years, he stepped away from that, that company uh, to complete his MBA at Stanford, where he came up with the idea for his newest food brand, Proper Good, which launched direct to consumer in April of 2020. So just last year, Christopher lives in Austin, Texas. So once again, Christopher Jane, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for the kind introduction. That's wonderful. Yeah, looking forward to this conversation. Why Austin? Yeah, Austin's a, Austin's a fun spot. You know, I've only been here a year. Um, I lived in Dallas before I moved to California to do the MBA. And Texas is a fun spot. I've enjoyed all my time here. I lived in Dallas for three years, but would always pop down to Austin at the weekends. And it's just a great place to live and, you know, all the, all the fun stuff that brings. But in terms of our business, you know, there's a lot of consumer products here. There's a lot of focus around natural, healthy brands. So it seemed like a good center in, in many ways. Yeah, yeah. I just moved uh, from Dallas last August back to Florida. I spent 30 years mm-hmm. in Dallas. So uh-huh. I know the area well. Yeah. All right. So you, did you ever work for anybody? Oh, that's an interesting question. As far as a proper <laughs> job, you know, like not 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 when you were a kid, but did you ever as an adult work for anybody? Yeah, I, I'm going to have to say no on that. So as a, in terms of a proper job, the answer is no. Yeah, I, uh, I worked for myself before my undergraduate degree. And then right after that, I moved to America when we when we co-founded Montana Mex and then straight into the MBA and now proper good. Yeah. So outside of internships or things like that, I've never been in a, in a traditional office environment, I guess. And was that the plan? That was very much the plan. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's from from growing up in with parents that were always doing their own projects and running their own businesses or just a drive to, you know, create my own things and, and have control of my time. But yeah, it's pretty much since early teenagers, teenage years, I would say that I've always kind of done my own thing. So your parents were business owners or are business owners? Yeah, my father was um, owned a uh, a small individual sort of consultancy and mechanical design agency. So very much, you know, self-employed slash small business. And then my mother would manage housing projects on the side. So they would buy land and, and develop houses as a, as a secondary income. So it was always sort of self-driven project work. So what, what was the drive, Christopher? Why, why did you want to be your own boss? 
Yeah, I think it's a fundamental enjoyment of creating things and also just having complete control over my day to day, right? I absolutely love the fact that we can, you know, work in a coffee shop or go and work from England for a few weeks or having that ability and not having to, to answer to that, that traditional ladder has always been appealing. Obviously, it has, has downsides as well, for sure. But that desire to have almost complete control over my time more than anything, I think is what drives me for that. So how did you come to the launching of Montana Max? Yeah, so when I moved to uh, Bozeman from London, you know, I literally just finished up my finance undergrad. All my friends went into London and, you know, to JP and Goldman and so <laughs> forth. And I just, honestly, I just didn't fit that well for me. So I moved to Montana, staying with my sister. And um, the person she was dating at the time was a chef. Um, and they were just starting that sort of early creation stage of the business. Um, so I joined as a, as a slightly later co-founder, but still within in the first few months. And yeah, that just kind of came together as a, as a summer project, honestly, for me as a, as a post undergraduate, let's do something different. And that snowboard into the next five years of my life. So right mm. from, you know, renting a local kitchen and we quite literally blended guacamole and salsa at 4am on a Saturday and then sold it at 9am at the farmer's market. So as grassroots as you can get, went, went from that to then, you know, many stores and many different product lines over the next five years. Mm. Is that still an ongoing concern? Um, it's, it's not so yeah, that, that business still exists. And that is, um, you know, you can find that in many retailers. But for me, you know, I, I stepped away to do my own thing. Just again, I'm sure we'll get into it. But just, you know, doing anything for five years from scratch is is a challenging thing. And so many things change over the years, especially in a, in a fast moving business. So, you know, I wanted to step away and, and do my own thing again. But um, yeah, no concerns there. Yeah. So why the MBA? Yeah, yeah. You're not the first, and I'm sure you won't be the last to ask me that. And a lot of people say, you know, Chris, you went from entrepreneurship back into a more a rigid environment. And but at Stanford, was, though, which is which is I, I think uh, unique amongst MBAs, perhaps. Yeah, no, that and that's very fair. And honestly, I you know wasn't sure I wanted to go and do an MBA. To be frank, it was, you know, I felt with entrepreneurship, as I'm sure many of your listeners know, that it's just putting one foot in front of the other, literally all day, every day, right? We, we describe it as the whack-a-mole of entrepreneurship. Like it's just continuous. And I felt we were just doing, right? Doing this, doing that, one foot in front of the other, not taking much time to actually step back and think, is what we're actually doing right? We're just trying to stay afloat, right? You're just the, the ducks under the water analogy. Um, and I wanted to go and do an MBA purely to reset. So the first six months of the MBA, you know, I took all sorts of interviews with different things from VC to private equity to consultants to you name it, slash just taking time out, doing dozens and dozens of coffee chats and walks around campus. And that really was my time to reset. I, I wanted an MBA for obviously the, the reasons on a resume and so forth if I needed that, but more so just to take time to reestablish what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I, now it hasn't been that long, but how how have yep. you seen that it's helped you with proper good? Yeah, I think it, number one, you know, MBAs, they do a lot of frameworks and heuristics and a lot of that kind of like, they call it the MBA ninja toolkit, at least we did for a, for a bit of a laugh in that, you know, you pretty much take any business and you can rip it apart within five minutes, right? From, from unit economics to operations to whatever, and that is actually a very helpful task. Sometimes it could be quite a pessimistic task because right. suddenly you realize, well, no business actually seems to make sense when you break down every single piece of it. But for me, you know, in the startup world, you often get caught up in product and marketing and excitement. 
but saying, hey, wait a minute, there's some actually pretty useful frameworks here. Um, a couple we use specifically that really help solidify your thinking before you dive into something that may or may not make sense. So that, that was very helpful for me. Yeah, that's such a great point that I'd like to explore for a moment because I, sure. that like completely has been my experience and those of others that I've spoken to is that we can do all of the analysis that we want, but at the end of the day, there is a level of a leap of faith because we, there's no guarantee for, for most business projects. Yep. But what you're telling me is that the tools, the techniques and tools and approaches that you've learned there get you that much closer to being able to do a proper analysis of whether you're on the right path or not, at least from a business model perspective. Is that fair? That's definitely fair. Just quickly on one, we it's called the, you know, the pre-mortem, if you will. Everyone's familiar with doing the post-mortem of, you know, why did this fail and how did this go wrong and what could we have done differently? I really enjoy that pre-mortem approach, which is if this fails, why will it likely fail? Uh-huh. And we would do, and we would do that across every area of the business. Is it product? Is it cash cycle? Is it unit economics? Is it competition? Basically, try and do a pre-mortem across the core areas of business. That may sound simple, but it's incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. I love it because it ties to one of the things I always ask people at a personal level: is what's the worst case scenario if this fails? Meaning on, yep. on you personally, your personal finances, your family, and so forth. Because a lot of times, you know, people come to starting their first business later in life or with other responsibilities. And I and that fear of taking that leap is often associated with, well, what'll what'll this do for to me financially? So I yep. love that that way of thinking as it applies to the business as well. Definitely, definitely. All right. Let's launch into to proper good. Where, where did the idea come from? Yeah, so as as you know from my prior food brand, I've pretty much been in this natural food and beverage space for you know close to a decade now. Mm-hmm. You know, every trade show, trying our own things, helping friends doing new things, and what keeps coming up is this this focus on what a lot of people would call a niche, but it's a large niche, which is people who are following specific lifestyles, whether that's ketogenic, plant based, gluten free dairy free, paleo, you you name it, there's a lot. And there are tens of millions of Americans within these lifestyles, right? So they're they're big markets, Mm -hmm. but they're almost impossible to shop for, right? You go to your average grocery store trying to shop paleo, for example, almost impossible, I would say. Um, Meanwhile, D2C opens that up, right? We can connect with people online, educate them in ways that you can't do on a shelf. So we knew we wanted to focus on lifestyles and we knew we wanted to to connect with consumers one-to-one. When we looked at all the market, we found a ton of these types of businesses existed in snacks and beverages. You know, if you want uh, vegan snacks or ketogenic snacks, there's, there's a lot of cool companies now doing fun things, but not in meals. And meals is obviously a big part of the day for most people. And we just realized, you know, I've, I've done keto for a number of years and I would make everything from scratch or you would order a pretty expensive frozen meal kit delivery, which is you know, not that convenient, right? You can't take it to work. It fills up the freezer pretty quickly. So we kind of landed on, could we make lifestyle-focused, premium, shelf-stable meals? That's super clean ingredients, no added sugar, but that benefit of, of some form of shelf stability that could like be ultra-convenient. And that's really where we landed, on, on a personal need of looking for convenience for lifestyles I was following, and then just 10 years of being in this industry, seeing a need that wasn't being met. And because of that is why it seems obvious, you know, I know you've been asked this question a million times, why soup? But soup lends itself to all of those characteristics as well as, as a way of 
meaning a way of packaging and heating it up quickly and it's a meal in one that all those must be reasons why soup yeah no a very fair question and that soup exactly it's one of those almost forgotten categories right if you go around the grocery store in, in nut butters or yogurt or you know whatever it is you'll see low quality items sort of middle of the road items and then very premium items and in soup specifically we found that that wasn't really the case we found that the pack format primarily cans and, and also tetra packs had been the mm -hmm. same for a long time the brands were, were fairly stagnant and the, and the flavors and you know food wasn't focused on function or lifestyle so but meanwhile depending on the reports you read you know soup is the sixth most purchased item in grocery it's a massive multi-billion dollar year category yeah i would have never thought that right it's crazy right it's not that far behind french fries and it's um <laughs> you know but yet it, it's somewhat forgotten so we really see ourselves as a, as a meal company you know we launched with soup as a proof of concept about a year ago and now we're expanding into other items but all with this same focus on convenience, um, you know, and premium shelf stability. And you touched that, but the other thing with soup is it's all, it's a meal in one, right? So yep. a lot easier to render, to serve, to eat on the go, all of those things come into it as well. Yeah. Certainly. Certainly. Right. So Jennifer is who? <laughs> Jennifer is uh, the co-founder of Proper Good, but before that, she is my sister. Um, so she's been that for a long, longer time. Your a little longer, a little longer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Because on the website, it's hard to discern. I didn't know if you guys were in a relationship, which I'm sure she'll get a kick out of that when she hears this, <laughs> or if you guys were brother and sister. I had read somewhere that you were brother and sister, but I couldn't remember where. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. So it's we have a few funny stories for that. Oh, I'm yeah, sure. There's a lot of confusion. The most recent was at an airport, um, you know, obviously pre-COVID, <laughs> where we both got upgraded because the, the desk agent thought we were on a honeymoon. So you know, <laughs> we, we rolled with that to get the seats. But um, yeah, no, hilarious. So yeah, no, she you is guys look alike, though. So that's that's one thing. All right. Indeed. So are you guys you guys are co-founders? Or we does are, she correct. come in later? She your co-founders. Yeah, co-founder. So I did the initial research at Stanford into this. And, you know, we've always done projects together, literally from as long as I can remember from, you know, selling t-shirts as kids to work on some movie project ideas and things. Um, so yeah, my first call pretty much was to Jennifer with, hey, I think I have a interesting insight into something we could build. What are, what are your thoughts? And then it kind of went from there. Why do you all work together in, well in business? Yeah, that is a very tough one. I don't know if I fully answered in my own mind because I know, you know, sibling relationships can be challenging and especially in business. And honestly, though, we, we never have had a problem. It has always worked incredibly well. And I think it's most likely because we focus on very different things, right? I'm very much building Excel models, doing cash flow models, talking to investors, so on and so forth. And she is the performance marketer. She's, you know, on the side, she does stand up comedy and a lot of script writing and so forth. So she is the brains behind the marketing position content, as well as the performance marketing side, which honestly, I trust her with and leave her to it unless she needs help. And then the same with me on the other side of it. So I think we Although we work 24-7 together, we have very segregated roles. Yeah, I've, I've always heard that and found myself, I've been in business with a sibling, that oh. that's the key, that delineation of responsibilities and then respecting that you leave each other alone for the most part has been the key in my experience as well. Totally. That's that's exactly how we feel. The door always has to be open, but it would be a nightmare if I was stepping on her toes every five minutes and, and obviously the same for me. 
if you get to a point where you can't make a decision on a, on something, who who's the third vote? Yeah, that that's interesting. So actually, the way we structured our voting power and so forth is that I, as the CEO, have have control over those final decisions. And we talked about that at length. And I, I think that's actually very important. You know, it, it, prior business and friends businesses, when it's it's true equal voting, you get to that sticky situation. Whereas then you may have a third party make the decision. But that person may not have anywhere near the level of context that actually is necessary. So we, you know, we've never actually had to enforce this rule. But in theory, you know, if something came down to the wire, then obviously we have to move forward as a business for our employees and investors. So I would make that decision. Yeah, that's brilliant. That that makes a lot of sense. This is Henry Lopez with a brief break in this episode to share a special offer from our show sponsor, LinkedIn Jobs. 2021 is looking up. New beginnings mean new opportunities to grow your business. And if part of your strategy is adding new members to your team, LinkedIn Jobs finds the right person quickly. To make things even better, your first job post is free. LinkedIn is an active community of professionals with more than 722 million members worldwide. And getting started with LinkedIn Jobs is easier than ever. I really appreciate the new features to help you find qualified candidates quickly. You can post a job with targeted screening questions to help you quickly get your role in front of more qualified candidates. And you can do all of this from your mobile device no matter where the day takes you. That's how LinkedIn Jobs can help you hire the right person faster. When your business is ready to make that next hire, find the right person with LinkedIn Jobs. And now you can post a job for free just visit linkedin.com slash how. Again, that's linkedin.com slash H-O-W to post a job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, you launched in 2020 because, you know, there was just COVID going on. Yep, You've yep. already <laughs> surpassed seven, uh, seven figures in revenues. Yep. You've shipped over 100,000 meals. I suspect it's over that by the, you know, by mm-hmm. now. Um when do you plan and predict timeframe wise you'll be profitable? Yeah, that's, it's one of the things that we have really tried to focus on because food and beverage is, you know, notoriously difficult from a CapEx point of view or just an inventory value point of view. And, right. and meanwhile, on the back end, you know, retailers do not pay you quickly and that, that's putting it mildly. Um, so, you know, we've really tried to say, how can we build a business that scales without an enormous amount of capital or time, because both of those are challenging. So I would say, you know, within the next 24 months, we will we will aim to be profitable. We are we are profitable on every order from a from a unit economic standpoint, but of course there's there's overhead and teams right. and agencies and so forth that that put you in a loss in that in that first year. But it's certainly an aim. We don't want to be a brand that just raises, you know, enormous amounts of capital over the next 10 years. We, we do need capital, obviously, to grow, but profitability is certainly on the horizon. Okay. Speaking of capital, how, how was the launch funded and how are you funded at this point? Yeah, so we, we put in what we could um, very pre-launch. That's Jennifer and myself of just, you know, how much does it cost uh, to set up the actual entity, you know, register your first trademarks. Obviously those are in the low thousand dollars. And that was really all we could initially do, honestly, ourselves, you know, myself with student debt and then Jennifer with other things that was 
basically the extent we could do. So we raised an angel investment round um, pre-launch, actually, um, from a variety of individuals in the e-commerce space, um, really just to get us going. So yeah, we, we definitely raised a round and obviously gave away a small piece of the company before launch. Because, you know, we couldn't take that personal risk, as back to your point earlier, like, you know, business is hard enough as it is. The idea right. of that, if it then fails, I quite literally have no money and nowhere to live and no way to pay for my lifestyle. That that may be too far. Yeah. I know that's smart. So uh, angel investment round, no subsequent uh, venture rounds since then yet? Um, not yet. Yeah. So we've done a, we've done actually two, two angel rounds um, okay. in the last 12 months, one pre-launch and one about four months ago. Um, we're, we're currently in talks to, you know, do a, a more strategic, larger round, which will help with the expanse um, that we all have planned. So up, upcoming, but not right now. Early on that first angel round, that that's such an interesting one. And I'm curious as to if you could summarize in your opinion, what, what got you the money? In other words, what did they see? that they yep. believed in. Yeah. And it, um, to give you the story there, it was actually a bit of a humbling moment because I went in with this kind of, look, we're going to build you know, the next premium shelf-stable food company in, in the country, right? We're going to take on the big players. This is a, a new category. Plus, you know, we've got a team who have been in the food business before. Obviously, right. I'm, I'm doing my MBA. Like, I felt there was a lot of credibility mm -hmm. still absolute grind to get that initial money right i i, I can't uh, i have to get my housemates on here to tell you from when i was at school but quite literally back-to-back -back phone calls for months i i wrote it all down in an excel sheet and we're talking hundreds and hundreds of phone calls to get your first sort of 10 yeses um and that was coming from a position of strength i would have said and i don't know if that was the way we were pitching it was wrong or, or so forth but it was incredibly hard um, the good news is if you run that process well, regardless of whether they invest, they become interested in the company, right? So mm -hmm. I send out a monthly update to a lot of these people. A lot of these people have become just customers and subscribers. So there's value to that. But right. yeah, it was, as you'd expect, put, put a deck together, put your best foot forward and start scheduling hundreds and hundreds of phone calls to get a few mm -hmm. initial checks. And so what I've been told, because I've never gone through it myself, is that a lot of it has to do with they believe in you and, and in Jennifer, I suppose. Is that what you found? Yeah, that's definitely a fair, fair summation in that. Because at the end of the day, especially pre-revenue, right? You have the, There's two, two challenges. I think pre-revenue, you're selling a vision and a team, which is you know, one way to go. And then post-revenue, you're now selling metrics. Yeah. So they both have their evils and, and benefits in that pre-revenue, you are selling a vision. So you're selling a, a rose-tinted vision of what you think can happen. That very much comes down to, as you said, do they believe in us knowing that that kind of drunken walk of launch and finding product market fit has yet to even begin? So that, that is purely a bet on rough idea plus team. But then post-launch, you know, in the, in the subsequent angel rounds, it's what's your metrics? And that is what is your metric this month, last month, month before, like every 30-day period is under a microscope, which is a whole new pressure. Um, so they're just totally different things. But, but yes, initially it was definitely on the team. Are you enjoying it? <laughs> so I absolutely love the business for sure. Like we, I, I can't even explain how much we work. It's 24-7, it's but it doesn't feel like work, right? It's it's fun. We love it. And, and especially in consumer products, which is where I spent most of my time, it's, it's so enjoyable to have a tangible product that people buy, you know, then they send you a text message or we, you know, we have now thousands of five-star reviews of people using it for all different types of occasion. 
So that is incredibly exciting on a, on a daily basis just to see the enjoyment of the product. Of course, running a business and entrepreneurship in general has, it, has its lonely moments, has its ups and downs, or as many highs as there are lows. It's a real challenge. I just can't see myself doing anything else, and, yeah. and I love it day to day, but it's you know certainly challenging. Yeah, well said. Can you remember from the moment you had the idea to you know selling your first product, how, how long of a period of time was that? Uh, yeah, th- thanks for asking that because that was actually very short. And that was one of, one of the things that I think we're trying to do different in consumer products is that nimble, quick idea to market, which is, you know, the opposite of most early stage consumer brands. And we, I believe the first idea was in about October of 2019. Oh we formed the company at the very end of 2019. I believe it was actually the last day of the year. And then we launched to market three months later. Jeez, so that's from- ridiculous, yeah. Yeah, from, from idea to initial, I believe we launched with four products, website, so forth, was about, you know, less than six months all in. The fact that it was four products, so is that the way you then looked at it is that's that's our prototype, that's our MVP one, is just a very limited scope of products, but we're going to get launched in that short period of time? Very much so, yeah. And actually, we made a mistake. You know, one of the, the first products was was frankly not up to par, which we then saw in the data of people would order that item and not reorder it. And that's, again, the beauty of e-commerce. We could see that and we could iterate. But yeah, on, on reflection, maybe we tried to launch a, a little bit too much too soon. But we did launch four with the aim of, you know, we're doing something very new here. It's, it's premium you know, premium shelf-stable foods is not really a category in the U.S., especially in transparent packaging. Um, so you can see and feel the food. We really just need a proof of concept here. So we launched those four with that exact idea of, does anyone actually want this? And obviously the answer is, is yes now. Where were you making the product at that time? Was it just at a commercial kitchen? Had you? Where were you making it and packaging it? Sure. Yeah. I know from um, some of your prior episodes I listened to about the, the whole co-packer relationship is an interesting discussion. And we actually went in with a co-packer right away. Um, so we developed benchtop recipes ourselves. Um, Jennifer and I, I can picture it now, literally sat in the kitchen <laughs> in, in she lives in Bozeman, Montana still. And yeah, we were making soup, you know, buying soups from local places and, and playing. And then we work with a, a food scientist in, in our company to basically take that to a food ready and obviously safe production item. And then the co-packer produces that. So we did that very early on, which is, you know, a testament to our, our co-packer relationship and that you have to be able to do that quickly and you have to be able to do that at small runs, right? Like I don't want to produce a hundred thousand of an item and then, then no one likes it. Um, so yeah, we, we did and that. Who handled, who handled, and maybe still does, but who handled distribution initially? Were you managing that? Yeah. So we've, we've kept the internal team to essentially focus on product development, consumer engagement, whether that's surveys, social media, so on and so forth and marketing, obviously for customer acquisition. We actually lean on our partners, whether it's a 3PL, which does all the the pick and pack and shipment of the the thousands of orders a month, or whether our manufacturing partner, which obviously produces the actual items under our intellectual property, we've purposely kept the internal team very lean because you know, there's an advisor of mine from the UK years ago said once, uh, are you a food brand or are you a manufacturer? Because they're very different things, right? You, you don't have the time or the nice. capex really to do both. So we really have kept fulfillment and production as lean as possible while we're just learning. I mean, we literally just wrapped up our 12th month, right? We're still very, very new. Right. But you got all of that done, land, landing that, that, uh, that, that manufacturer, co-packing, 
the recipes, getting that all done in three months, you got that all done. Correct. Yep. That, that is exactly correct. That's crazy. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that has to have been, again, you just, just 24 seven, but I think you, you must have had a very clear direction on how you were going to attack this. Very much so. And that comes down to, you know, back to back to our relationships in the food business. Obviously, if I was starting in a new industry, you know, if I wanted to make I don't know, semiconductors, I certainly wouldn't be able to figure that out in three months. But, you know, I'm, I'm doing something I know how to do to an extent and have some initial relationships. But yeah, it was very, very laser focused. You know, I, I see a lot of brands and even our prior brand, you get spread too thin very quickly, right? Suddenly you have glass packaging, plastic packaging, food service packaging, retail packaging, and Suddenly, it's very hard to manage. We, we had one pack format, one website, one box, one manufacturer. Let's keep this as lean and simple as possible. Right. And then the purposeful choice to go direct to consumer, right? Yep, exactly. Mostly enabled, honestly, by the fact that we're shelf stable. You know, I'm sure as I have many deliveries, as I'm sure you do, of frozen items and so forth. And it's very, very hard to do and very, very high cost to do. So we right. wanted to do shelf stable which enables direct consumer much easier. And, and especially with COVID, obviously, all the, the USPS and so forth were overwhelmed. So shipping anything frozen or perishable was just virtually impossible at some points. But nonetheless, is there, were there thoughts we should delay this launch because of COVID? I, I mean, on the one hand, I can see where you saw demand because people are at home and they need nutritious yep. meals. On the other hand, you just touched on one of the challenges which is my, my delivery mechanism is, is affected. So any thoughts on delaying the launch? Yeah, it was one of those things. So I was about to graduate from the MBA basically at the same time as the launch. And it was, you know, we've just raised our money. We have products ready to go. What's this COVID thing? And I, I literally remember walking into the kitchen. One of my roommates was like, I don't know. I think this is going to be like the flu. I think everyone's sort of, uh, you know, overstating it. This was how early it was in, in the kind of COVID process. It was like, Obviously, I'm not going to stop our business launch because of that. And then suddenly, you know, everything does happen to the point where manufacturers are shut down because, you know, and so forth. And we were lucky to be, you know, approved as, a, as an open facility because we're food-based as a nice. necessity. Okay. But yeah, we never really paused, honestly. We, we jumped on the idea of, well, e-commerce is about to explode in terms of people are turning online because retail's closed. Let's just see what happens. Um, so yeah, about a year on though, we have uh, I have different thoughts on COVID and, and where the business is going in the future in terms of has it helped or, or weaned us. But um, yeah, early on it was let's just keep going and, and see what we can make happen. So for the foreseeable future, will you remain direct to consumer, or what are the thoughts there? Yeah, I actually think uh, we will move to the the wholesale retail channel a little earlier than planned. Obviously, okay. I, I did that at the last brand. We know how to do that. Um, it's just Direct to consumer is incredibly interesting and incredibly fun to, to learn and test and iterate. Mm -hmm. But wholesale, nonetheless, I mean, what is it still? 80% of transactions happen in a physical environment. Okay. So like you have to meet consumers where they are to, to okay. some extent. You still have to go that right. But now, right now, of course, like you said, it's giving you that immediate feedback, which is invaluable. Yeah, It really is. Yep. It's continuous feedback loops is the backbone of the company. Explain the pricing model. Yeah, so everything we do is $6.99 to $7.99. That varies whether it's you know a plant-based item or a meat-based item and so forth. On that, we offer free shipping on the website, and then you can also save up to 20% with subscription. So, you know, if you're ordering, say, 12 meals a month, you know, a couple of meals a week, you can get it down to around $5.50 
per meal, including delivery, which is obviously very, very competitive. And, and with that, people are enjoying it at work or when they pop home before the gym or any time they need that quick convenience is, is really where they're using it. And how many, um, I don't know, is flavors the right term? How many types of soups do you have now? Yeah, we have nine on the website right now across uh, soups, um, a couple of bone broths, and also a chili, a plant-based chili launched recently. So all within that kind of soup or adjacent categories, but yeah, not nine items right now. Mm, wonderful. All right. So the way we got connected, obviously through, through Amanda at XRC Labs, mm-hmm. uh, tell me about your experience with XRC Labs and how are you still in uh, associated with them or did you finish the program? I know there's different terms for it, but... Sure. Where are you? And, and tell me about that experience. Yeah, yeah. Really fun one with XRC. So we've actually been talking to them. So I mentioned in October of 2019, when we first kind of you know ideated this whole thing, I think we connected with them pretty much that month, maybe the month after. I think I saw on Instagram a, a thing for their upcoming cohort for their accelerator applications, and, and that kind of happened. And over the next few months, it got to the point where we were raising that angel round, as we, we talked about. And in the end, they participated in the angel round. So they became investors in the company. We didn't technically go through the full accelerator, but nonetheless, you know, we talked to the team at XRC probably every day, whether it's on Slack or, or weekly on phone calls. And really they've invested initially and they invested uh, again more recently. And then also just being incredibly helpful from, you know, people who are in this space, right? They focus on obviously the retail space and just that's everything we do. So it's uh yeah, a fun relationship there, but um, we didn't go through the accelerator. Per mm-hmm, se. Yeah. So what what uh, you've touched on it, but what what is the value then that you've gotten from being associated for, with them? In addition, obviously, sure. to their investment, but what else? And what kind of ongoing value do they give you? Yeah, mostly on that relationship side, right? Obviously, it's such a challenge because there's so many sort of gated relationships, whether it's you know C level executives at any of the big food brands or. They brought on some fantastic advisors for us earlier on in terms of thinking about large-scale CPG. So outside of capital, which is obviously helpful for a growing brand, the relationships and you know one-click introductions to mm-hmm. some pretty pretty serious players in the industry just make things so much easier on my end. Um, so yeah. Yeah, that, no, that's, that's a big benefit is the yeah. relationships that they have established and access to those is incredibly valuable. Totally. So uh, generally speaking, or whatever you can share, what's next for proper good? Yeah, so we're kind of, you know, launched to market was that that soup focus that we talked about really D to C, but we're seeing an enormous opportunity from our, our current customers for, for wider meal occasions. So as I said, there's a plant-based chili that launched recently, but a bunch of new things coming soon that kind of extend from soup company, which was really the, the proof of concept and launch into this 90 second meals platform so as a as a consumer you know you can go on and you can order a few breakfast items a few soups a few chilies a few other things all with a a fun kind of gamified shopping experience and then obviously we can connect with you through text message and and so forth so really an expanse of items as well as just improvements in the way we communicate but um yeah we're uh we're just one foot in front of the other again, right? Just keep keep growing. So. That's right. And the same approach from a packaging, a shelf-stable packaging approach is still what you'll continue with. Without a doubt. Yeah, honestly, the, the pack format has been really enjoyed by people and we can do some really creative things in this pack format. So yeah, we very much see ourselves just continuing to laser focus. I really think that's the key in food and beverage, honestly, to, to really nail down and just focus because it's 
it's so easy to get that shiny object syndrome, right? Like, oh, wait, we could launch, uh, we could launch this beverage, or right. maybe people want this, and and suddenly it's it's a cool item, and maybe it'll work. But suddenly there's just not enough hours in the day, right? Like, I literally work more than basically anyone I know, I would say, and I barely scratch my list on a daily basis. Yeah. The idea of like getting more distracted would just be, you know, <laughs> impossible. <laughs> so, so, so tell me a little, little bit about that, Christopher, because that's such a challenge for for all of us, obviously. Yeah. How how do you determine? Is there a technique or a tool or approach you determine as to what you are going to get done today and the rest just has to wait or is noise? How do you make that decision? Yeah, that's that's a tough one that I haven't fully fleshed out, but my, my best answer to that without a doubt is just priority, right? In terms of emails, I literally schedule everything, whether it's you know new emails that come in that can wait a day or a week or can be passed on to someone else, obviously to delegate, Anything urgent goes straight into an Evernote. So my laptop screen is pretty much, I use a Shift. Try Shift is, a, is an amazing email platform that I use that basically keeps all of my Google Docs and all of my email in one window. And then next to that, I have a notes document and an Evernote. And that between those three things, it's priority stuff, things that have to be done within a week and things I can delegate. And I pretty much do my best to stay on top of that. Otherwise, it gets overwhelming, right? Like yeah. literally every hour, there'll be a dozen new emails. And if right. it's just, again, that whack-a-mole analogy of, oh, answer this one, answer this one, suddenly there's no structure and, and it's a disaster. Yeah, so that's like your your dashboard that you used to manage your day. Do totally. you do you block out time to like work on a new project or something that needs your your undivided focus? Do you block out times to do those types of things? So I block out times for more personal things. Like I, you know, I must, you know, do my daily yoga or daily sculpt session or, or something like that. I get a lot of personal benefit from scheduling time for that. So that is always on every day. Cause if I don't schedule that phone calls from Calendly will just start popping up in the middle of it. So <laughs> I, um, you know, I do, I do that every day. Um, weekends are usually the kind of new product more, you know, iteration kind of big thinking time Monday to Friday, honestly goes in a blur, right? I like, I can't believe we're almost a week through May already, for example, like, it's just ludicrous. Um, but the weekends, you know, when other people stop responding is when, you know, Jennifer and I or other members of the team will start thinking, hey, maybe we should think about this, or here's a new platform we could explore or, or something like that. So what kind of social life do you have? Yeah, so uh, I guess you know, COVID's one piece of that, but um, you know, being new to the city in Austin, you know, we haven't got a huge network here yet. So, you know, we try to do things like co coffee chats, and you know, if we can get out at the weekend to a, a wakeboard park or something like that, that's great. But honestly, I would say, you know, I prioritize lunch and dinner and healthy things like that, and working out, and then you know, maybe one day a week off if we can if we can stretch it, but. Again, it comes back to this earlier question of like, it doesn't feel like work, right? Like if I was working in say somewhere I really didn't enjoy, this would be a crazy lifestyle. It would be, it would be detrimental to my health. It would not be a good idea at all. But every hour is enjoyable. So more work is actually more progress, which you know feels exciting. It doesn't feel like I'm just grinding and grinding for no purpose. Um, you know, we really feel like work is Work is as much enjoyment as it is um, progress at the moment. Yeah, well, I get that. That's wonderful. That's fantastic. All right. We, we've touched on it, obviously, but is there anything we haven't talked about or, or give me the, the very high level summary on proper good in case there's anything we missed about what the business is and the, the product that you offer? 
Yeah, for sure. No, I think we covered most of it, but essentially, you know, if you want to check out eatpropergood.com, you'll see our line of 90-second clean ingredient shelf-stable meals. So that's as simple as that. Whether you're keto, gluten-free, plant-based, or just want meals with zero added sugar and a, and a clean ingredient list, we've got you covered there, basically. And as I said, free shipping on orders and, you know, 20% off with subscription Essentially, we can make it very easy for you to eat healthy, whether that's lunch is just a quick lunch or, or as part of a larger dinner. It's, um, you know, people are loving it. Thousands of five star reviews now. And, you know, we're just getting started. So I'd, I'd love it if you checked it out. Fantastic. But wait, that's not all because we have <laughs> a special discount for our listeners. So tell me about that. We have a, a special promo code and yeah. a 15% discount. So let's talk about that. Indeed. No, happy to offer that. So it's a uh, 15% off site-wide. So on any order, as much as you like, um, 15% off. And that is just with code HOWOFBIZ15. Simple as that. Um, and you'll get 15% off site-wide. Fantastic. If you happen to forget that, just go to the show notes page for this episode at thehowofbusiness.com. I'll have a link there to the proper good site, as well as that, that coupon code in case you forget it or can't write it down right now. Wonderful. Thanks for offering that. Thanks for sharing all of that. I'm always looking for a book recommendation. I think when we chatted before we started recording, you got a couple of ideas. So tell me what you're thinking as far as a book recommendation. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big, big reader or a big podcaster. So I would say two things, um, just general entrepreneurship and leadership stuff. One of the favorite books I read recently was actually from one of my professors, Joel Peterson. It's called Entrepreneurial Leadership, The Art of Launching New Ventures and Inspiring Others. And it's just a really great book, right? Easy read, has a ton of just true examples of things that really change the culture, how you inspire teams, how you deal with, you know, everything right down from customer service to board level meetings and so forth. Just a really fun read about real true entrepreneurship and inspiring others in growth. And the flip, Joel Peterson? Yeah, Joel Peterson. Yep, Joel Peterson. That's Entrepreneurial Leadership. I think it came out last, last year. Um, and then on the flip, for anyone interested in food and beverage, there's a bunch of cool books out there. But one of my f- most favorite is called Mission in a Bottle. It's the story of Honest Tea. So with the, with the founders wrote a very interesting style book. It's actually kind of half cartoon, half story. But basically, similar to what we've discussed here, right? Right from idea, from initial insight, right through in the end. I can't remember the amount they sold for, but I believe it was bought by, by Coca-Cola in the end. Um, but yeah, that whole story from idea through growth of a, of a natural foods brand was a really fun read. And that, that's just for anyone that may be interested in this space. Wonderful. Great recommendations. I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. We'll wrap it up, Christopher. What's, what's one thing you want to stick away from this conversation we had about your experience with launching Proper Good? So, you know, especially if I'm listening and I'm thinking about a similar idea, a food product launch. Yep. What's one thing you'd want us to take away from this conversation? Yeah, it's one, one is a tough one, but the one that I think that we struggled with most early on and have overcome and that I see others struggle with is this part of the business model, especially in food and beverage. Like I think most people focus on product marketing, the excitement of all of that and running a startup and they leave the business model with kind of a secondary thought. And then you get, you end up with, challenging manufacturing terms, challenging payment terms and so forth. So I would, my best advice there is to put just as much thought into the business model itself, how you're going to sell it, where you're going to sell it, what are the payment terms going to be? What are the minimums going to be? What are the unit economics look like as you do on all the other fun stuff like the brand and marketing? So 
just as much thought into into the business model as the product. And I think you'd be in a, a much better place than most are early on. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. I, I often say that, you know, an idea is one thing, but if you don't have the right business model behind it, that's what's going to decide whether you stay in business or not. Totally, totally. Because, you know, growth, growth kills a lot of companies, which is a strange thing to think about. But you, if you're set up for scale from the start, then you, you're in a much better place. Tell us again where you want us to go online to learn more. Sure. Just check out eatpropergood.com and you'll see uh, all the fun stuff and all the tasty goodies. Excellent. Christopher, this has uh, been a great conversation. Very enlightening. Thanks for being so transparent and sharing the story. Very inspirational. Thank you for being with me today. It's very kind. Super enjoyable. Thank you. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me on this episode of The How of Business. My guest today, again, was Christopher Jane. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.